Welcome to Pondering Life Adventures, where you get to eavesdrop onto well-seasoned therapists to chat about our well-seasoned lives. My name is Bobby Beal. And I'm Mari Lung. Well, hello, Bobby. Hello, Mari. How are you doing? I'm well. It's nice to see you. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, it was a long holiday weekend for everyone. And, um, but, uh, we came out of it much better than we went into it. <laughs> How's that? Right. And we talked a little bit about this last week or whenever we talked last about all of the medical stuff that's going on with your family. Are there some updates that you want to have? Cause we talked about like before everything was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's pretty much good news across the board. Everything went well with my dad and um, uh, he uh, was much better by the end of the week. He had his surgery the day before Thanksgiving. So we had to, the big shuffle for us was to um, move Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving gathering to Sunday instead of Thursday. But it turns out, that turned out quite well. As I was initially concerned that no matter what, that that was too soon after surgery for him to have, you know, 20 people running around the house. Um, but... Um, he came home a few days after the surgery and was, uh, he had, was very uncomfortable the first night home, but after that, it, it, it's just been a slow, steady getting his feet under him again and being able to walk around freely. But honestly, he's like going up and down steps and, um, everything wow. seems to be working properly. It, there's still a long recovery period. It's not nothing yeah. um, that he had his kidney removed, but he looks good. He sounds good. He's eating his, everything's working. <laughs> so, um, so it ended up all well. And, um, and I had, um, oh, I, I want to mention this and see where you are on this. Um, two family members had been exposed to COVID prior to our Thanksgiving gathering. And so oh. they, they both stayed home. They and their families stayed home. Um, and since that time, uh, we've also found out that other people have been exposed. And I feel like in the last four to six weeks, I know, I personally know way more people, not just getting exposed, but who have gotten COVID than I did for the whole 18 months or 20 months. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think that I like knew of more people because I've been seeing clients. And so I hear clients talking about people that they knew. So there was like a peripheral, but this, you're right. This last six weeks, I feel like that has moved in one ring, like closer to me where I've gotten messages from people who have said like, Hey, I have COVID, you have COVID before. Cause remember I had it early on our yeah. whole family had gotten it. Um, but they don't want to talk about it. And so what's interesting to me is I personally know people, but I'm not seeing them publicly talk about it. It seems like there's still some, I don't know, shame maybe, or something going on about speaking out about it. And I remember you and Danny saying that about when I posted that our whole family had COVID, but how interesting it was, I was willing to like say that out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I know a few other people who are, are pretty open about it, um, but I'd say the vast majority, it does feel secretive. Yeah. 
yeah. So even if I find out about it, I'm fine. I'm not finding out. Well, you know, I'm not on social media very much at all, but I'm not. I, know, I always tag out. Danny if I need you to see something. <laughs> exactly. And um, but I'm finding out because so and so told so and so who told, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So it's not that they're not talking about it at all, but they are not making it public that they have it. And, and, you know, one of my brothers, I overheard him talking to my dad said, it's nobody's business. And I thought, well, except that it is everyone's business because it's a contagious disease. I was going to say, isn't this a public health issue? But I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I, why do you think it's so why do you think people feel so secretive and private about it? I mean, so many reasons come to my head, but I think the first one is, you know, whether you made a decision to get vaccinated or not, it can make you feel like if you got it, did the vaccine not work or should you have been vaccinated? Like it creates doubt of, have I been doing what I need to do? to take care of myself. If I've been promoting, like I wear masks all over, all around. If I were, if I'm constantly wearing a mask and promoting those health issues and I still get COVID, then was I wrong? Should I have even bothered? Like, I think it creates doubt. And when you have doubt around people who have disagreed with you, I think that creates more secret. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, it, it would have, been different if I got COVID now after being vaccinated and have a booster. But really, is it why would it be different? Because um, if you're vaccinated and have your booster, you've done what you could to prevent the spread and your own contagion and masks also contribute to that. Um, but it doesn't, it's not a free pass though. Right. But I think it creates enough doubt that that becomes then confusing because there's been so much mixed messages, even though I believe in vaccines, to hear all these other people like CCC, there is that little bit of like, you know, it reminds me of that study of like, was it the roller coaster that made you sick or the three hot dogs that you ate before you got on a roller coaster that made you sick? And you start associating things inaccurately. Yeah, well, I'm still a big believer in this viral load concept that yeah. everything we do to reduce the viral load or the impact on ourselves and on others with exposure helps so that you don't get as dangerous or deadly a case. Right. And all the research still seems to point to that, that if you take precautions and if you have, vac have been vaccinated, then you are far, far less likely to get super ill or need hospitalization or die. And for both of us, research, even though research changes as we learn more, and I'm really comfortable with that, like this is our best knowledge at this point, and I can hold on to that. For lots of people, when research changes, it's like, see, you shouldn't trust research at all because it changes. We could eat eggs and now we can't eat eggs. You know, there's this, what did someone phrase it the other day? That we have this real like fact-free environment right now that, that it's hard for those of us that I feel like an informed decision is rooted in research. And when we learn something different, then we change based on what we've learned. That's wishy-washy. I know, flip-flop. <laughs> yep, yep. So. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I try, as a matter of fact, I say that on purpose now to larger groups about being wishy-washy or flip-flopping and that that's not a sign of 
inconsistency. It's a sign of intelligence that when you get new information, you update your, your standing, your understanding, your being, your how you handle it, all the things. And, and that's intelligent to ignore current information. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Less you, smart. I was gonna say, like you and I are <laughs> the same page with that one. I don't know what I can really add other than I like, know. Okay, let's move yeah. on. <laughs> it's so funny. Victoria will say, like, if George, because George has this like fantastical, you know, idea of things, and Victoria will be like, okay, that's how I kind of like feel sometimes, like, okay. <laughs> well, so related, you sent me an article, and I had seen an article too in um, the Atlantic. And let me pull up the title of the article really quick, but it, the article itself was talking about some of the mental health impacts of COVID. And you and I have definitely talked about it for sure. And what, I don't know that anything surprised me. I was a little disappointed because, and we'll, I'll post the, the link um, on our Facebook site as well. So the title of the article is the pandemic did not affect mental health the way you think. And that makes it sound like mental health was not an issue during the pandemic at all. But even in the article itself, it says that early in the pandemic, of course, when there was not a vaccine and there was lots of disruptions, sudden, you know, widespread disruptions to people's work, to people's schools, to social connections, um, and that there was, there was a significant mental health impact during that time. But then people kind of bounced back. They have some qualifiers. If there were people facing financial stress, hmm, we've talked about this before, poverty, how poverty impacts mental health, that those people are still experiencing high impacts of mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide. And when I followed up with some of that, the suicide rates in, in the black population or BIPOC populations, there's a variety of different studies have still increased. So in April of 2021, the suicide rates for uh, people who are black increased 94% from the lockdown, while suicide rates among white people went down. So my concern about that article is that for people who are not experiencing the mental health impacts, for people who are like, oh, I love staying home. I was sitting by the pool. By the way, that was never my experience of lockdown. <laughs> I, like my work exploded during the lockdown. You were busy during the lockdown. We've talked a little bit about that. So my concern is that it dismisses the marginalized populations that are experiencing the increased mental health issues to begin with. Right. It's like they left out this huge um, component that would explain a lot of this um, division. Of course, that's the trauma stuff. That yeah. if you were already traumatized, if you were already marginalized, if you were already at the poverty line, um, it was devastating and everything got worse. And on top of that, you had trauma responses to the new traumatic stress of the pandemic. If you were white and privileged and comfy cozy in your home and family, it was uh, irritating. Um, I, I found a lot of people um, as privileged as me who were like, just so fussy about it. 
but they weren't hurting as much as they were just fussy and right. they want those connections and they felt like they were missing out on things like everybody was um and but they did learn to you know make sourdough bread and visit with people and creativity you're talking and, about people who had resources you know yep. like one of the first studies i pull up show that the coronavirus pandemic exacerbated racial divides in healthcare, and a new study showed that suicide among black people doubled during covid while suicides in white individuals were cut in half during the same period yeah. and i can't help but to think that that has to do with access to resources correct and uh, you know i want to say capitalism it has to do with capitalism and the fact that now this is because i just did a big training yesterday on uh you know the inequities in our world and in our system and it a, a lot falls back on capitalism so all these marginalized populations are the populations who don't have the protections and benefits because they're in service jobs and tip jobs and things that don't have any kind of cushion no backup and you know poverty is the big double whammy because not only is poverty its own traumatic stress. Oh my gosh, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to feed my family? Um, but when you're at or near or under the poverty line, um, you can't buffer yourself and your family from all the other threats. You know, if my house gets hit by a tornado, right. I'm going to move to a hotel or to a family member's place and build a new house because I'm well insured. Um, so I'm buffered when trauma happens. Um, and money really is a, a giant buffer for people. And they, it just, the whole thing just kind of rubbed me the wrong way that they were trying to say pandemic wasn't as bad as we thought. And immediately I was like, I, I'm not buying it. My people are struggling. My families and, um, and my friends who, you know, and I guess I have a lot of LGBTQ people and I have a I lot say, of we're connected people. A lot of yes. people. Yeah. yeah, I have a very diverse uh, group and a diverse um, population that I work with um, clinically. And so I feel like we're all drowning out there. And this article comes out and says, oh, wasn't that bad? And I'm like, what? Right. Well, and it starts off with it wasn't that bad, but really quickly at the beginning of the article, they also say that you know, depression, whether it was in the US or Norway, so that, you know, they compared it to a country that has really high mental health rates, like positive mental health rates, both showed 25, 27% more clinically significant, clinically significant. So we're not talking about the agitation that you're talking about. We're really talking about that that's moved into impacting functionality of during that initial part of the pandemic. And then it decreased to levels that were lower than before the pandemic but you're still talking about in general people who have access to resources and so that piece that divide i feel like is really unfair and again my worries are like do are we then dismissing the marginalized populations are we reducing resources of like we don't need to channel funds to mental health we're doing better than we thought so that part was definitely hard for me now the piece that was in the other piece that was interesting is that it did shift at the end to a little bit more about resiliency and it reminded me of our conversation last time um, about that creative problem solving and being able to to access some of those pieces 
but also, and you started to talk about it, putting some new habits in place. So for people who had resources, who could then, you know, take a daily walk because now you're not having a two hour commute, those kinds of things really do increase our mental health and resiliency. That's a good point. Um, and, and I can't deny that point that people who weren't already um, heavily traumatized, uh, they, they had an opportunity to strengthen themselves and to calculate. Yes, they did. And, uh, and I know many people who came up with um, new ways to be with their family, new personal habits or practices that they could focus on because they weren't commuting or, yeah. you know, all sorts of different things. And so I can't deny that some of that happened I, and I don't want to, but you're right. I think that the, ultimately the problem is that it, it almost makes those, the divide wider. It makes between. the divide wider and it, it becomes further dismissive to people who are really experiencing it. Like I know these things and I still find it hard not to defend myself when people are like, oh, I love the pandemic. How come you didn't take advantage of all that time off? <laughs> well, because I couldn't even keep appointments open for the people that needed appointments. Yeah, I had no time off for sure. So let's pivot to habits a minute because I do think that when you and I have talked about habits, it is so hard to change habits but it all really depends on what it is that you're trying to change and what kinds of things that you're putting into place to reinforce that habit and that environment. And so for you, you've been doing a lot of kind of depth into researching, not just resilience, but how do you put into this place some of those routines and habits so that that becomes the new neural pathway track that we take versus that yummy Twinkie that's just so fantastic. Do they even sell Twinkies anymore? They're still yes, they around. Are. If they're around, they're still edible. <laughs> I hear they're edible for 35 years or something. I know. If you count that a Twinkie is edible to begin with. But yeah, what are some of the things that you have learned? I've been, I can't remember that book. It was on my desk before. You, you had rec recommended a book. Well, they're important because of the bandwidth lady, right? Didn't she yeah. tell us that we only have like four to 6% of our brain functioning is at our disposal. We get a choice about how to use it. And we so like to much think of it, more. <laughs> yes, we want to think that I, I was thinking 50-50 maybe, automatic things versus conscious decision things. And she says, no, not at all. Only uh, four to 6%, I'm pretty sure is uh, the ballpark of what she was saying. And um, and so, but they're, we're counting habits habitual responses or, or things that we do as part of the 95% that is happening automatically. And so it might feel like you have choices about it, but you're doing things habitually. And so, um, so you're right, during the pandemic, some people were able to take advantage of that, including myself, and create some new desired habits. And so I increased my meditation and increased my yoga. And, and I think you know that, that served me well, kept me healthy. And um, I think that the two current um, pieces of um, information, literature, authors I'm looking at right now um, includes Kelly McGonigal, who I think she's out of Harvard and uh, she wrote a book called Super Better. And um, more recently, she was on a different podcast, 10% uh, Happier. Um, and she was talking about 
helping people understand why they want to have a habit and grounding it in what's important to you helps you um, stick to your habits. So it, you can be more intentional about it. You know me, I'm, I'm a intender. And so that, that yeah. clicked with me and made some sense. And then the second one we talked about last week was um, James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits. And, um, and I just finished, I don't know, chapter two or three. And, um, and he's talking about the same thing that, um, if your habits aren't grounded in your values, uh, you probably aren't going to be able to keep them going. So many people focus on an outcome, like I want to lose 20 pounds, or I want to be a better baseball player, or I want to, you know, whatever it is. And he said, it's really so much less about the outcomes than you think. It's more about the purpose, the intention, why it's important to you. And he's back to value-based habits as well. And so that's really ringing true to me. I've always dabbled a little bit in people's self-help kind of things. I think they're interesting, what works, what doesn't work. And, and, um, and I jump on the bandwagon occasionally, but I, I really appreciate the grounding in your values kind of thing. And I'm curious uh, about how that's going to play out in the rest of his book. Yeah, what I liked about what I've read in his um, book or about his stuff so far, because I haven't read the whole book, because like you, I want to like read anything and I feel like we swap reading stuff every once in a while too. Um, yeah. But there's some things that really stood out for me that made it more accessible. And one was that he really focuses on tiny changes and you know making little changes to, to move towards, which I think we've known before, but that makes it more doable. Um, the values piece, of course, because I think that just makes it more aligned. Um, but he also talks about designing your environment. So the piece that I that I struggle with with a lot of the the more traditional self help is like if you have motivation, if you want to change, you can change. If you just have the willpower, and when you dive into some of the the bigger studies, <laughs> where you have to like, I feel like I have to have a dictionary next to me of like what am I trying to read. You know, motivation and willpower is a really tricky thing. And there's lots of things that we think that are our choice that aren't really our choice. Our brain is making choices about environment and other things. And we still feel like it is our decision. And so we, it becomes a character flaw if we don't do something. But a big part of that is, is creating your environment to support some of those decisions. And he taps into that. You know, it always reminds me of that one study where they are studying judges and the judges were like, yeah, we're the most objective as possible. You know, I've, this is my work, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they found that all of them may, if you were sentenced before lunch, you had a harsher sentence than if you were sentenced after lunch. And the only difference was rating of their level of hunger. So amount of hunger influence, like when they took out all the other factors, because we know that there's other factors that play into that, was still a significant influence into their decision even when they believed it wasn't right it's true i was just saying the same thing on a training last night yesterday that um even people who are sworn in avowed to be impartial about things have implicit bias and reactions yeah. that influence their decision making whether they believe that to be true or not Right, right. When we're working on changing habits to also learn some of the neuroscience, like going back to what you just said, 
reminding ourselves that there's only so much bandwidth we have to make intentional decisions. Putting in some habits where we don't have to be thinking about those decisions can help us. And people are messy. We, <laughs> we do you not think? just like pivot automatically. I, I find that so many of my clients are so self-critical, but what I've noticed even more is the more categories of like not privilege that you have. So all tend to be more self-critical and judgmental when they're not able to make some of these changes. And part of my worry is like, have you recognized that not just the influence of the environment, but the influence of being in a system that is set up to continue to oppress. And, and I hesitate to say this because, you know, the, the argument that comes back at me is like, don't keep people in victim mindset. Like that's like saying like, oh, look over here when the system is set up to continue to oppress. I see you nodding. Do you want to add something verbally? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, we think very uh, consistently the same on this. And um, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. So this is going to take me right into, um, I don't want to lose my hope yeah. that things can be better, that people can do better. And I, you know, and so I think that's one reason I lean into self-help stuff sometimes or yeah, it's like atomic. It is habits. a hopeful thing, right? We yes, it's hopeful to think that we can do something well or do something better. And um, but again, and I it, this is just so fresh in my mind because I did this training yesterday on racism and bias. There's so much negativity and cheating going on uh, that I I used to think that democracy would be something that sort of stabilized us and saved us from ourselves because <laughs> I do believe that there's more positive and good people in the world than awful negative people. But God, those negative, awful people are so damn loud and break the rules and then change the rules so that we're disadvantaged because we're not willing to be ugly and awful or shoot people or change the rules and the laws to be unfair mm -hmm. i mean we should not there should not be a democracy where there are rules against voting that's what the democracy is <laughs> and they just change the game all the time and it is so frustrating and i i no longer feel as hopeful about democracy or america well, and i was just reading that again some of our biases interfere so when people highlight an issue of racism or you know any of the kinds of isms people who were defending it shift to like they just refocus on well i need free speech stop silencing me we saw that happen yeah to something completely different and what a distraction that really was yep all right we better talk about something more hopeful <laughs> okay Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm at a bit of a loss these days because I'm, I feel that I am a natural optimist. And, you are. And I generally am pretty upbeat and I spend a significant amount of my time sort of calming others and cheering them up and yeah. um, pointing out the things that we can look forward to or be hopeful about. And ugh, 
I'm losing touch with that uh, hope because it feels so awful out there with all of the, honestly, I, for me, part of it boils down to uh, the lack of belief and trust that people have now in science and facts. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do we <laughs> rest on if there isn't some bottom line of this is a reality? Okay. So, so you and I both, you have been in this profession for a long time and it looks a little bit different, but we have lots of similarities, but I think we both recognize that part of our work is sometimes holding hope for people. So I do think that like talking to other people who are hopeful helps us to feel more hopeful. I also think that when I start to get lose hope, I mean, you and I are both readers again, that I have to limit my bad news intake. Like I have to put myself on a news diet because I can quickly get sucked into excessively watching or reading some of those things that make me feel hopeless. And so trying to balance that out with some other stories that those aren't the only stories out there, even though those are, are important stories or loud stories. And then I think that you and I both have talked about both gratitude and how that is helpful for hope and in, in kind of unexpected places, uh, as well as those tiny moments of joy or savoring. We've talked about that. Um, and then just that moment to pause and reflect just to pause and reflect. So those are some, some of the strategies that both of us have shared before. It just feels so big to me that sometimes if, when I'm trying to like pause and reflect or take that moment of gratitude or savoring, like earlier today, when I was out walking on the beach, the smell of the beach was so comforting to me and the birds were chirping and I was savoring that moment. And like, oh, this moment is not gonna take away the bigger problems of the world. Like it's hard sometimes to feel like there's any kind of balance in that. Yeah. And so that you're, you're doing a great pep talk, Mari, and I appreciate Thanks. it. I think <laughs> other people will too. Um, and it's making me think about, think globally, act locally. Yeah. Or and, I don't know, um, but there, I remember that phrase. <laughs> well, and maybe you can find the right quote before, yeah. you know, for the podcast page, but, um, but this, I think when I, um, I intentionally, and you know this about me for decades, have avoided the bad news. Yeah. I do not pay very much attention to news. And I count on Danny and my mother and father to be like, you should know this. <laughs> and I'll pay attention to that thing. And it's not that I'm completely unaware. I, I live in the world. and um, But I intentionally stay away from uh, a lot of the bad news so that I can stay more optimistic and it's true. So as you were talking, I was thinking about concentric circles and that mm -hmm. when I look out wide to the whole United States or to the global climate or to those bigger things, I get really overwhelmed and, and depressed. And when I start shrinking that in to um, my family, my community, myself, which is of course, all the way down to myself is my habits, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's where I feel more well, you have more control over yourself and your immediate environment and things like that. And really, to some degree, it's the only place we can make meaningful contribution. You and I are not politicians. We're not 
national speakers, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, we have our, our, our platforms that feel good and um, that we're associated with this podcast, AEE, you know, different things that we're involved in. But the truth is, our influence is, is a relatively small circle of friends, customers, clients, family, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And so, and immediately as I thought narrower <laughs> inside those concentric circles, I could feel myself like, oh yeah, that's where you belong. This is why you're floundering because you're like, I can't change this huge political <laughs> divide, right? And right. I I can't eliminate uh, global warming. However, I can recycle and I can do yoga and I can feed my family healthy foods. And and all of that does make me feel better. I think that's got to be, I need that little trigger in my head that says, oh, if you're getting really depressed and overwhelmed, narrow in a bit, pull that in. And narrow find in your vision. Here's the few things that help you know, the actions that you can take that help over the the holiday break, you know, lots of people ask me like, how can you keep doing this work, especially during the pandemic? It's so exhausting. And you're you're like hearing these stories all the time. And and that's true. And I think for me, one of the pieces, do you remember the story about the starfish, the guy that's walking along and all these starfish, he's like throws in one at a time and people are like, oh, you're not going to, you know, save all of them. And he throws in one, he's like, well, it matters to this one. I, I kind of feel that, like that feels like my philosophy. Like, yeah, I can't save all these starfish, but it mattered to that. And, and that little bit of reinforcement reminded me of like, yeah, it mattered to that one. I agree with you hundred percent. And it makes me think of, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to butcher it, but it's an Obama quote that if you're feeling down or out of control, find somebody to help. Yeah, and there's tons of research that shows that that service learning and and volunteering helps people feel better. Right, you literally feel better, and it's uh, I I call it the double shot of dopamine because yeah, yeah, you're helping them to feel better, and you get to feel better because they were helped, even if they don't send you the thank you card. Even if they don't send you thank you card. Well, yeah, even that. Like I love doing that you know, the random acts of kindness that, that people don't know. That's one of my kids' favorite challenges because we do different challenges every day, but to do something that would help someone else without them knowing that you were helping them. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about what they did at dinner and they love the big reveal. Um, Of course, the people that they helped aren't around. Like we're just talking about it ourselves. And it's just, it's just amazing. I, uh, in another example, similar to that, we had my father's 80th birthday party uh, two months ago now, and um, he hand wrote thank you cards to everybody who came and and gave him a gift or a card or anything. And he called me to say, can I have all these addresses? I'm going to write thank you cards. And I was like, oh, well, that's sweet of you, dad. But I mean, he has a lot. He had all this medical stuff coming out. You don't have to do that. I mean, people don't, don't, it's not a requirement. It's not a social thing that's required anymore. And people don't always do that. And he's like, oh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get through as many as I can. I said, okay. 
And um, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and said, your dad sent me the sweetest note. And it made them feel so good to be appreciated that they had showed up or sent him something appreciating him. And I mean, what a little cycle, upward cycle of people mm -hmm. feeling good, just based on that quick little thank you card to, and him noting what they gave. Although he has struggled because <laughs> he took a bag full of cards and gifts home. And my it mother, didn't all match. <laughs> yes, my mother went through and like threw away the envelopes and she, so, she has a sorting and getting rid of pro disease. <laughs> and so any of those, up. you know, parents that struggle with that because the, the triplets birthday, like I can't keep track of, like, it's just all happening so fast. And I'm really just trying to like, make sure they're not destroying things kind of thing. But I learned this tip and a thank you note, you can always say, thank you for your generosity. <laughs> if you can't figure out your specificity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep. it's okay it's okay to say that your whole body language has changed a little bit are you feeling a little more hopeful now that we've like recalculated? i am i am it was a good thing to cycle through could you solve my insomnia while you're at it <laughs> hey, i thought you were solving mine <laughs> no it was good i i think that this is probably one of the reasons that i'm avoidant of big bad news is because i eh, I can go down with it so quickly. Yeah. Um, and most of the time I just dip in and see what's going on and then back out. Yeah. Compassion, compassion for others, compassion for ourselves. That to me has been a huge gift for me during this pandemic, just giving each oh, other. I'm glad you mentioned space. that. Yeah. Why? Have you been, did you do our experiment oh, of our radical self-compassion? Okay, I'm deleting this from you better not you better not <laughs> on that note there's some giant pelicans walking down the sidewalk over there <laughs> there really are i would like well i think you're you're a fine example of people struggle with self-compassion it's one thing to say yeah. i'm gonna help my family i'm gonna help my neighbor i'm gonna help my school i'm gonna help my community and i think a lot of people hesitate to say i need compassion I agree. And I think as I've gotten older, that part has gotten better for me. So whatever, you know, has happened for the aging process has allowed me to be a little bit gentler on myself. So that's been a gift for me. Until next time. Stay well, be kind, and enjoy life's adventures. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Pondering Life Adventures, where you got to eavesdrop on two well-seasoned therapists chat about our well-seasoned lives. You can find us on Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Like, subscribe, review, share, you know, do your thing. You can follow us on our Facebook group page, Pondering Life Adventures, where you can send us a personal message or share a link to your social media, or you can visit us on our platform anchor and leave us a voice message. Who knows, you might get featured in an upcoming episode. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash ponderingLifeAdventures, where you can become an active participant in supporting our creative process with a monthly membership. You get access to exclusive content, such as some of our funny outtakes, and insight into our creative process.